Thank you so much. Um, I, I, I want to tell you that uh, as far as strong rally is concerned, oh, okay, that's disappeared. But uh, as far as strong rally is concerned, there are only 997 spots left. I took three. Um, yes, I've spoken to my kids and uh, we told them about the rally and so we're like, hey, do you want to go or not? So yeah, you only have 997 spots left. Um, if you're wondering why not 996, because my youngest one is not yet four. Uh, but the rest will be by the time it's December, four and above. Uh, but we want to just thank God for, uh, for, for what God is doing in this church um, with, with the generations. That is very, very important. We look, at, we, we look at 1 Timothy 3 later on, and you talk about how generations of leaders will be raised up as, repla- not as replacements, but as reinforcements of the, of the leadership and the building and expanding of the kingdom of God. But today, just as I, as, as, as I come up, I want to tell you that we're a church that really looks at and desires to see that the generations rise up. And that is, that is our heart's desire. And so, especially in my house today, I told my, my, my eldest one, and I said, uh, I'm preaching at service one today, so I give you a very wonderful opportunity to uh, decide what I'm going to wear today. Not bad, right? Not bad, right? Um, and, uh, and, and she loves doing this, and so she'll go to my wardrobe, open it up, and go, hmm. So I give her some nice, I, I throw a little, like, you know Master Chef? Oh, no, sorry, not Master Chef. Um, that Iron Chef competition where, you, where they give you the secret ingredient and you don't know what it is, right? So I gave her the secret ingredient. I said, I must wear a white shoe. Everything else you decide. Um, and, and yeah, so this is, this is, this is my daughter. Uh, my daughter's a fashion design. Um, if, if you like it, shout. Uh, I'm not sure if she's listening. Uh, but I'll tell her. I'll definitely tell her. Um, and, uh, and, and we're about empowering our next generation. Amen. We're about empowering our next generation. Um, besides the fact that, you know, fine, you, you, you work out my, my design for today, um, we're empowering them and we want to empower them to learn to hear God, to ex- encounter the Holy Spirit. To, I mean, it doesn't matter, and this is, this is what I'm going to share with you. Um, last weekend, we had Power Conference. And, sorry, for those of you who don't see my face very often, my name is Wayan. Uh, I'm one of the pastors of SIBKL, but a lot of my time has been sold into LifeGen, one of the church plants of SIBKL. Um, and, and I'm very proud of what God has been doing in LifeGen. I'm very proud of my people. Uh, we had power conference last weekend. In fact, last weekend, there were so many things happening in SIBKL. There was power conference. There was a revival wave, revival right in this hall. Praise God for all that God is doing through the nations, and um, the, the week before that was Malam Pentecostal. And so God has been doing so much in this, in, in, through SIBKL, throughout our nation. Uh, but just a little story, going back to generations about Power Conference. Um, the last evening, uh, there was a call for salvation. And this little kid comes up. And I'm like, yes, God, thank you, God. But I see this little kid, and I go, oh, wait, he came up in camp too. He's probably accepted Christ multiple times. And when someone asked me, he said, where do I put this on a database? Do I consider this as a salvation or a rededication? I told this person, I was like that too, you know. I asked my mom, how many times have I accepted Christ? And she said, I, I, I lost count. But I remember this. I remember two incidences in my life that have become um, the, the, the core memory in, in, in my mind. Um, I was nine years old when I started to speak in tongues. And I was 13 years old when I made that decision to say, God, I will commit my life to you. 
I will. Uh, I mean, the, the encounter was was powerful. The the I, I was I was at a Christian fellowship meeting. Um, I remember my my teacher advisor uh, was praying for me, and then I got slain. I was on the floor, and and as I was in that space, um, I just felt the the. I, I felt this. I'll tell you what I felt. Wave. Have you been if, if you've been in an ocean and uh, or just at the shore, right? And and just waves. You, you, at the shore, you lie down. And then the waves just kind of crash over you. So that was what I felt, right? Just this thing going over me, over me, over me. This, this wave of emotion, a wave of something was, was hitting me over and over again. But what was happening at that time while I was feeling this was, was, was God saying, I love you, I love you, I love you, I love you. And it just wouldn't stop. It wasn't like, oh, you know, uh, low tide, no more. No, it just kept going on. It just kept going on for, I don't know how long, but, but as I'm just being assured over and over and over again of God's love for me, that was when I remember I said to God, God, I'm going to give my life to you. I'm going to offer my life to you. I'm going to love you. I'm going to serve you. I'm going to, I'm going to follow you. I mean, whatever 13-year-olds can think of in their heads at that point, lah, um, but I, I wanted to follow God. I can't remember the date. I remember I was 13 years old. I remember it was my first uh, Christian fellowship meeting at the school that I was in, the first time I attended the Christian fellowship meeting, and it was in March. And I was 13 years old. So it was, it was probably the first or second Friday of March that year, and, and, and I've never looked back. And so when we sang that song just now, right, I have decided to follow Jesus, no turning back. I thank God that from my encounters with Him, at nine years old and at 13 years old, no turning back. No turning back. I praise God for that. I praise God for that. Um, and so I, I want to just share this with you because we want to encourage our, our, we want to encourage the next generation. We want to encourage the, the generations that come after us. But we also want to encourage each one of us. All right? Let's not forget whatever age group you are in, whatever um, Wherever God has placed you, you have your counterparts, you have your friends, you have your families, and they too need to hear God. So before I go into my message, I just want to remind you of the Alpha Course. How many of you have heard of the Alpha Course? All right, it's a powerful tool that God has built in and given us uh, to be able to talk about Jesus, to ask big important questions about our life and about Jesus and about the Bible and about everything that you can test and challenge of God in a space where there, is, where there are people who will be able to work through those questions with you, not necessarily answer them, but work through those questions with you and challenge you to think and, and, to, and to dialogue with you and give you ideas and thoughts and, and, and have this conversation. There's also food which is available, um, but over this period of time, we've seen many, many people encounter Jesus. That's more important. It, 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 it's more important than how many questions I managed to answer that you've posed to me. But when you encounter Jesus, that is way more powerful than just knowing the answers to your questions. And that is what I want to encourage you to do. If you have not heard of, feel free to, to check out the link um, and, and speak to people. Who, what is the Alpha course about? It starts tomorrow, so it's not today. I, I know it says that today, but it's 24th September, and so we're, we're just, you know, bringing you 
into the future for a moment, uh, is tomorrow, tomorrow at 1.30 p.m., level three. So this building, two floors down. But I want to encourage you to join us and bring your friends, invite your friends to come uh, and, and be a part of this uh, course and, and this journey that we take together and we bring each other into encountering Jesus. Amen. Amen. I'm going to look at 1 Timothy chapter 3. We took a, quite a bit of a break uh, with Malaysia Day and all that was going on in the, in the church, and we're going to kind of sort of come back to our regular programming. We're going to look at 1 Timothy chapter 3 today, and the bulk or, or the theme of 1 Timothy chapter 3 uh, is essentially this, leadership. Everybody say, leadership. leadership. And when I thought about this, I, I often talk about or think about leadership uh, in the context of, of church or in the context of work, and, and sometimes especially in, 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 in the church context, when we talk about leadership, we get certain responses uh, that come our way. For example, oh, that's not for me. La. It's okay. Um, I, I don't think I, I, I am called to be a leader. I don't think I, I need to be a leader. Um, it's all right. I, I love just, you know, sitting at the chair. You know, Sunday services are awesome. They're wonderful. Uh, I, I really learn a lot. God has been teaching me so much. I, I read the Word of God, all of that, right? But when you talk about leadership, oh, that's not for me. Thank you so much. Some of you, you've got, oh, well, you know, leadership requires commitment. It requires time. It requires energy. It requires learning certain skills or learning how to counsel people or learning how to lead and learning how to do all of that. But I've got no time to commit. But the reason is because I've got a calling elsewhere. Like I've got a workplace calling or I've got a sports calling or I've got a calling elsewhere and I want to commit my time there and so I won't be able to commit my time in the church and, and, and so, uh, sorry, thank you very much. The other one is this. I hear this very often, huh? Leadership in church, I don't play play, no. Don't play play. You know why? Because sometimes it, it, it connotes this, you know, a lot of unpaid, uh, unappreciated, uh, a lot of hard work you put in. Uh, and so the, and then not just that, you know, you have to carry the responsibility. Because if you're a teacher of the word, you are doubly judged, you know. Hey, yo, don't play, play. Or, hey, uh, don't waste your life. Lah. You can still make it big in the world and still bring glory to God. Correct or not? Now, the reason why I bring up some of these points, besides the fact that I've heard it often, is because my heart and my desire for you, for all of us as a church, is to understand what God tells us about leadership. And when we understand what God tells us about leadership, we understand why God has called us all into leadership. Why God has planted leadership as part and parcel of our discipleship. And when we understand what God has called us to, how God has called us to lead as part of our discipleship, I desire that all of us would say, I want to learn to lead. I want to learn to lead as part of my discipleship, as part of following Jesus Christ. And the reason that Paul gives us in 1 Timothy chapter 3. And I want to just jump to this for a moment. So those guys doing the slides there, thank you so much. You just kind of have to flow with me for a bit. But 
I want to go to 1 Timothy chapter 3, verse 14 to 16 first. If you have your Bibles with you, and you should, uh, please take out your Bibles, turn with me to 1 Timothy chapter 3, and we look at 1 Timothy chapter 3, verse 14 to 16. And I want to start there, because I want us, and if it, it, this is something I felt we should do as, as we were worshipping God, I want to start off there because I want to start off with the foundation, why we do what we do. And the foundation comes in 1 Timothy chapter 3, verse 14 to 16, because this is what Paul tells Timothy. I hope to come to you soon, but I'm writing to you these things, so that if I delay, you may know how one ought to behave in the household of God, which is the church of the living God, a pillar and buttress of the truth. Great indeed, we confess, is the mystery of godliness." And what is the mystery of godliness in verse 16? He says, He was manifested in the flesh, vindicated by the Spirit, seen by angels, proclaimed among the nations, believed on in the world, taken up in glory. Six lines, short sentences for each one of them, tells us so much about who God is and yet leaves us wanting to know more. Six characteristics of this God that we believe in, and Paul calls it a mystery. And the mystery isn't the kind where you go, well, I don't know, so just leave it lah. It's so mysterious, I cannot understand it, leave it lah. Let's just stick with what we know. No, Paul, when he talks about mystery, he says it is so profound that we want to know more. It is so profound that it is beyond us that we can now believe in something that is just, that, that goes beyond the capacity of our minds to understand, that goes beyond our own ability into understanding this powerful, awesome, magnificent, mind-blowing God. So here's my little suggestion to you. Close your eyes. Close your eyes. You don't have to look at the passage. I'm going to read it out for you. Close your eyes, and let me just read out those six characteristics once again. This is the mystery, the profoundness of godliness. He was manifested in the flesh. Have you ever seen this in the history of mankind? that God would come incarnate into the flesh to become the image of the invisible God. He was manifested in the flesh. He was vindicated by the Spirit. At baptism, at resurrection, this human being is yet, is, is human, but God in all its divinity seen by angels, understood by the heavenly realms, understood as God, not just on this earth. In fact, we're probably the ones who misunderstood him the most, but understood throughout all of the heavenly realms and all of, spiritual, of the spiritual realm. Proclaimed among the nations, 
This is the God whose name will go further and, and deeper into hearts, into nations, into areas, into lives than any other name. Believed on in the world. And God will draw all men unto him and taken up in glory. Have you ever seen a God so profound, so awesome, so magnificent, so powerful than the one that Paul has described. And the reason why I say this is so important is because Paul says leadership is about carrying this mystery of the faith that we have. Church, if you're a believer, if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, you carry this mystery. You don't just carry some little information that you have about Jesus. You don't just carry the little things that you've understood when you've read the Word of God. Because when you carry this Bible, even if you have not fully understood it, and none of us ever will fully understand the Word of God, and when I say fully, I mean you understand it the way God does because we're all growing in it. When we carry the Word of God, we are carrying something that is so profound, something that draws us to say, Lord Jesus, Father God, there is so much more about you that I want to learn, that I want to know. And I'm going to continue reading your word. I'm going to continue encountering you. I'm going to see all of these different characteristics of God shown and revealed into my life. And so you carry a mystery. Tell the neighbor to your right and to your left, you, you carry a mystery. Say, so you are not mysterious, especially if it's your spouse. You're not mysterious, but you carry a mystery. You carry a profound God with you. You carry a God that is beyond your understanding. You know why? If it was within our understanding, right, two things will happen. One, we might as well be God. If I knew everything about God, I might as well be God. But the second thing is this. If I am God, then is that all that there is to life? Like this? No. We worship a God who is beyond us. We worship a God who is beyond our understanding but draws us with glimpses of who He is so that we desire more. And we say, God, show me more. Show me more. And that is what we carry, church. And if that is what we carry, how do we share this into the world? Leadership. Leadership. I'm going to share with you three things about leadership, but here's how I'm going to do this. I'm going to share it right at the end, sort of like a conclusion to all that we're going to go through in 1 Timothy. But 1 Timothy is shown in three different portions. We've looked at the third, and I will go back to it in a bit. But let's look at the first portion in 1 Timothy chapter 3, verse 1 to 7. So turn with me to 1 Timothy chapter 3, verse 1 to 7. And what we're going to do in, that, in those three portions is I'm going to point out certain things that Paul says, certain thoughts that come out of that to encourage you and to show you why God has called each one of us into leadership. 
And so the first one is this, verse one to seven. The saying is trustworthy. If anyone aspires to the office of overseer, he desires a noble task. Therefore, an overseer must be above reproach, the husband of one wife, sober-minded, self-controlled, respectable, hospitable, able to teach, not a drunkard, not violent, but gentle, not quarrelsome, not a lover of money. He must manage his own household well with all dignity, keeping his children submissive. For if someone does not know how to manage his own household, how will he care for God's church? He must not be a recent convert, or he may become puffed up with conceit and fall into the condemnation of the devil. Moreover, he must be well thought of by outsiders so that he may not fall into disgrace, into a snare of the devil. So just some thoughts as we look at the first passage. It is this. The first one is this, the word overseer. The word overseer. What is the word overseer? The word overseer in Greek is episkope. And episkope basically means someone who oversees. He presides over, he's in charge of, he supervises, he oversees, all right? And so that's, that's the word overseer. But what does he oversee? In this case, the church. He oversees the church. And so when, when we talk about someone who is an overseer, we're talking about someone who is a person who perhaps is like an elder. Now, here's the tricky thing about using other words to, 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 to describe these roles. I'm going to share with you later on that these are just more like stages of leadership rather than actual um, offices per se. Because when you go to a different church and different cultures and different ways in which they have their leadership structures, you may, you may fall into this trap of wanting to say, oh, okay, the council member, the elder, and the pastor, these are overseer category. And then the, the, the ministry leaders and the connect group leaders or the cell group leaders are deacons. And then, no, so let's not look at it necessarily that way. They're basically three stages, and I will share that with you later, but these are essentially how we learn and we grow in our leadership. And so the task of an overseer is someone who presides over, who sees, who oversees, who, who looks at what is going on. And here's the criteria. Sorry, before I look at the criteria, I want to say this. The first verse, he who desires to be an overseer, who he who aspires to be an overseer, desires a noble task. When we say noble, what comes to your mind? The first thing that came to my mind was nobleman. You know, this old medieval thing where, you know, the king has his council and then the nobles will sit together and they will eat and drink and discuss matters of the nation. And I don't know why I'm speaking in this voice at this moment, but it, it sounds a bit more like, you know, respectable and dignified and dun, 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 dun. Oh, sorry, But the word noble here, very easily understood as good, beautiful, wonderful, virtuous, worthy. And so when you say he desires a noble task, he desires a very good task. He desires a very virtuous task. He desires a task that is very worthy. It is a good cause. It is a beautiful cause. This is what he is aspiring to. So he desires something that is beautiful. How many of you desire something that is beautiful? Overseers. 
He desires a noble task. He desires to do something that is oriented not by, for example, profit. He desires to, to, to he desires a task that is not oriented by recognition or acknowledgement or accolade. He desires a task that is beautiful because this is how you carry the mystery of the faith. This is how you see the mystery lived out in the life of the church of God, of the people of God, of the body of God. It is a noble task. So the first one is who is an overseer. The second one is what is this noble task. And the third one is this. What is the criteria of an overseer? Two things I want to point out. The first one is this. He must be above reproach. Above reproach. What does that mean? That means blameless. Not sinless, because we're all learning to work out our lives and work out all the different things in our lives that they are nece- they're not necessarily for God or what God wants in our lives. And so God is continuing working that out. But blameless essentially means that we keep short accounts with God. That means when we've made mistakes and we've committed sins and we come straight to God so that we would be restored once again in reconciliation, in repentance before God and with others as well. When we have made a mistake, that we come in repentance and in and reconciliation with people so that there are short accounts, that there is no resentment, that we are therefore above reproach. The rest of the paragraph often talks to us about what above reproach means. But my point is this, that that is essentially what Paul is talking about. We want people who, when we look at this overseer, we go, this guy is above reproach. This guy is not someone we can dig up things about that have not yet been reconciled. This is a person whose life is an open book that we can see and we know he walks with God, he journeys with God. Doesn't mean he is pure and perfect in all he does, but he keeps short accounts with God. And the second one is this. He is passionate for the church. An overseer is passionate for the church. You know how I know this? Because Paul equates your passion for the church with your passion for your household. I'm a father. Obviously, to get a father, I have to be a husband first, right? So anyway, I'm a husband, father. Um, I have a family of six, including myself. And I desire to see that my children grow in the Lord. And if you're like me, and I'm sure all of you are, you desire your children to grow well, to grow in the Lord, to do that, and you will defend it. You will fight for it. You will discipline them. Right? That's not like, amen! Okay, fine. You will discipline them. You will also pour out love in other ways besides discipline because you want them to grow. And when... When people come at you or your family and you go, this guy is a bit sus, you step in between that sus dude and your family. You know, something very interesting. When pastors think that their member is sus, 
and you've got to step in, but be pastoral about it. But you defend your family. You love your family. You give your life for your family. You live for your family. You die for your family. You are passionate about your family. And if you're passionate about the church as much as you are about the family, that's the kind of person we want to see as an overseer. So I want to just point out to you, church, and I want to acknowledge our elders who eat, sleep, breathe, SIBKL, who care for this church, who love this church, who pray for it, talk about it, think about it, and, and, and just pour their hearts out for this church, our pastors, our council members. I know I'm one of them, but I'm going to just talk about everybody else here. Um, but they, they eat, sleep, breathe this church. Now, it's, it's not about just, oh, you know, we're an awesome church. But they eat, sleep, breathe what God is doing in the church. That's what they live for. That's what they die for. That's what they, they, they pour their heart and their energy and their time and their money into. That's what they will, they will, they will commit their lives to. They're passionate for the church. If you know how to manage your household, I know you know how to manage your church. That's what Paul's saying. You're passionate for the church. So can we just give a hand to our elders, our leaders, our pastors, our council members? And I know all of your cell group leaders, so if your cell group leader is here, please just acknowledge them, recognize them. Um, because at all, all of us as leaders are at different stages of learning to love and understand and care for and, and be passionate for the church. These are people who pour out their heart for the church and what God is doing in the church. We defend what God is doing. We defend the work that God is doing through this church. We defend the name of God in this church. Overseers. The second group of people that Paul talks about are deacons. And so that's 1 Timothy chapter 3, verse 8 to 13. I'm going to read the whole portion. Um, I've highlighted some parts, but turn to 1 Timothy chapter 3, verse 8 to 13 with me. And he talks about deacons. Deacons, likewise, must be dignified, not double-tongued, not addicted to much wine, not greedy for dishonest gain. They must hold the mystery of the faith. Everybody say, mystery. They must hold the mystery of the faith with a clear conscience. And let them also be tested first. Everybody say, tested. And then let them serve as deacons if they prove themselves blameless. Their wives likewise must be dignified, not slanderous, but sober-minded, faithful in all things. Let deacons each be the husband of one wife, managing their children and their households well. For those who serve well as deacons gain a good standing. Everybody say, good standing. For themselves and also great confidence in the faith that is in Christ Jesus. What is a deacon? If an overseer oversees, a deacon, <laughs> deeks, deacon is, in Greek is diakonos, but essentially it means someone who executes commands. Someone who takes instructions, executes commands. And, and that's the, 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 the the word diakonos, all right? And so, that, so when Paul uses this, he's talking about this, this group of people who take instructions but execute commands in the ministry. So these are the people who 
very good example, Stephen. Stephen in, in, in Acts, remember Stephen, the first martyr, uh, or first recorded martyr um, for Jesus Christ, he was appointed as a deacon. The context behind that is this, the apostles or the disciples, the 12 disciples, uh, well, 11 plus 1, um, were, were, this made it, made it a, a decision that there were a lot of things that needed to be done that they would not have time to or would not be able to commit to. And so they wanted to commit to the preaching of the word and in prayer. And so they said, let's appoint deacons or diakonos. And so these people will then be people who execute the, the, the work, who actually do the work of what? Feeding. So one of the things that the deacons had to do was ensure that the people, especially the widows, especially those who were not able to, to, to have the capacity or ability to collect the food that was available to all as they shared uh, of, 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 their, of their food and their belongings with one another, they would be the ones who would be able to distribute that. That's just one of the things that they did. Of course, Stephen is next level. Stephen is not just uh, someone who executes commands. He was apologist. He was debating. He was telling people, really, Jesus is the way and all of that. So they had a lot of character and ability and capacity rather than just, ah, eat this, nah, eat that. All right? It's more than that. But this is what we're talking about when we talk about diakonos. This is a person who executes commands. You're not necessarily overseeing, but you're, you're, your hands are still doing the groundwork. So take, for example, our ministry teams. All those guys who um, are up here uh, leading us into worship, um, right there. Hi, for those of you who are watching online, you've got a diakono standing behind the camera um, who is really putting his heart and effort and concentration into me as I walk around. <laughs> but he's doing this, why? So that you get blessed. So that you get blessed. He's doing all of this, and these people are all around the church. You come inside the ambassadors who talk to you and, and say hi to you and make sure that you're welcome in this place and know that you, this is a home that you are in. And Paul talks about this. He calls this the household of God, like a family. But there are people who therefore do these things in order for you to be blessed. And who are these people? These people are passionate for what God is doing. They're passionate with what God has given them and they do it. Does the church need deacons? Of course. Does the church need people who are going to execute commands and get things done and do the groundwork? Of course. But here's the thing. Are deacons leaders? My submission to you is yes. And here's why. Because Paul then tells Timothy, if you're going to appoint a deacon, make sure they are tested first which means there is another level where you're coming in and you're serving and we're going to see whether you make it as a deacon. That means you make it as a leader of people who execute commands. Here's how it really looks like in ministry. For us, in cell groups, you come into a cell group, you get involved. Right, and you, you know, remember your, my spiritual journey, all the things that you learn at the start, if once you've come into the church and you're a new believer or you, you, maybe you've come from another church and you've been part of a cell group, then we get you involved in doing certain things. Now, I'm not going to say this outrightly uh, in, on any other day, but we're watching you. We're going, hey, this guy has got a heart for people. This guy has got some skills, man. This guy knows how to play the guitar. 
he can sing in tune. It's a gift, you know. This guy knows how to wel warmly welcome people. This guy is generous. Check out his character, man. We're noticing things about you, and we're not doing this because we're like, okay, next deacon. Checklist A, next deacon. No, it's because God is revealing to us these are the people who we've brought into our lives that, we have, have, that have been entrusted to us as leaders to care for, but not just to care for and say, nice, you're okay, you're doing fine. No, we want to raise you. We want to raise you up. We want to see the best of the destiny that God has for you realized in your life. And so we're looking at the different things about you, and yes, sometimes, yeah, this character not very good, or this skill not so there yet. But that's where we disciple you. That's where we build you. That's where we raise you. That's where we say this person is, is we want to see this person grow into the man or woman that God has designed her or him to be, and we're going to do our best. And that's why we're watching. That's why we want to raise you up. That's why we want to see and, and cultivate inside of you as you are being discipled to grow into the destiny that God has for you. And there will always be an element of leadership in it. Because why? Even if you're not a core or CG leader or ministry leader or, you, or any of that official terms that we use, there will be people who watch you and follow you all the more as you carry the mystery of the faith. There will be people, and I declare this, that you will lead to Christ. There will be people who will be asking you, hey, what is this uh, that you commit your life to so much? Who is this person? What is this cause that you will spend your life living for? And you will lead them. You will begin to grow them. You will begin to bring them into an encounter with Jesus and show them how much God loves them. And when they know Jesus, it will be people whom God has entrusted to you to then lead and follow up and, and share with them and journey with them through their issues or through with their families so that they all grow into more, grow more and more to be like Jesus. Please don't do this. Sir uh, leader, can you please take this photo? You know why? Because that's God's call for you. When God entrusts a person into your life, you're like, okay, sir, leader, please help me. Show me how to do this. Show me answer, how to answer this question. I've got friends and some of the guys in life gen who, who come to us and, and, um, and say, oh, my friends, I've got questions about Holy Spirit. Lah. And uh, they've got these you know, interesting questions. And, and some of these things, you know, as pastors, you've, you've read before, or you've heard before, you've talked about people, this about people. And so I automatically say, don't worry, I can meet up with them. And then my cell member comes to me and goes, actually, pastor, can you tell me how to do it? Oh, that one. That's how it's done. So can you tell me how to do it? I said, okay, fine. First of all, you ask questions. I understand what exactly is their concern. What exactly are they actually asking about? There's so many things about um, the, the Holy Spirit that we can talk about and ask about and questions and things. So then he says, okay, so then I ask. It'll come back to me. And I said, okay, what is what you do? So, so I've journeyed with this guy so that he's able to lead his friends into an understanding of the Holy Spirit. I, I've literally replicated myself. And that's what we do, because God has called us to lead. God has called us to bring people with us 
into the saving knowledge and then into more encounters and into journeying with God and encountering God and growing in God. Look at the person on your right and your left and go, God is calling you to lead. And you're like, oh, that's not for me. Think again. There will always be these elements. But here's how testing sometimes is done. I've got a question for you. You've probably heard this before, especially if you've been serving. Which is more important, mad skills or great character? Yeah, Pastor Isaac is going for mad character. Um, we see a lot of deliverance these days. Mad skills are great character. How many of you, A? Nobody, all right. How many of you, B? All right, how many of you, Pastor Wayne, this is a trick question. So all the pastors in the front, you're like, hey, trick question. Both, you know why? Because if you've got a lot of skill, if you've got mad skills, you're the best video editor in the world, you're the best guitarist, you're the best hospitable, the most hospitable person in the world. But you don't have character. Double A. If you've got great character, wonderful, but you don't know how to do anything. How lah? But I want to share with you that these two interrelate. Especially when you realize I, I, I'm growing in my character, but my skills are not developed or developing as fast as I hoped they would be. My challenge to you is this. When you develop your skills, character supports it. Let me, let me explain. There are times when we look at life and we go, I'm not so good at this. I'm just going to be competent at it. But if it is required of you to be excellent at it, what is going to make you excellent at it? Your character. You need to have a spirit of excellence that tells you I'm going to be better at what I'm supposed to do. That's going to push you. Your character is going to push you and develop you in, and, and cause you to say, I'm going to be better at what I want to do. And so your character supports it. But as we always say in SIBKL, and I must not forget this, because we always say in SIBKL that every task that is given to you leads to character, attitude, skill, and knowledge. Task equals cask. I know that's not mathematically correct, don't worry. But task builds your character, your attitude, your skills, and your knowledge all at once. That's why we say, come, join us and serve. Come, join us in, in, a, in, in a cell group and, and, and be a part of what we're doing. Come, invite people. Come, do all these things because as you do them, you are, you're being discipled in developing your character, your attitude, your skills, and your knowledge. Don't forget that, church. Don't forget that everything you've got to do is not just, oh, I'm a robot executing the commands of my boss. No. It's I'm doing this, executing these commands, but as I'm doing this, I know my character is being developed, my attitude is being checked, my skills are, being, are, are, are getting better, 
and I know more. And I develop in all these four aspects of my task. So you've got a deacon who executes commands, someone who is tested, and so once he's tested and he has proven himself tried and true, he becomes a deacon. But the other thing that Paul says about deacons is this, if an overseer must be above reproach, he says a deacon must hold the mystery of the faith with a clear conscience. A clear conscience. If you say someone is above reproach, that's when the world outside looks at you and goes, yeah, this guy is blameless. But a clear conscience is between you and God. I remember one of my clients who came to me and said, um, we were just talking about life and, and all that, she's a former police officer, and, and, um, and, and she said, you know, I may not have much, but I know that throughout all of my years of service, I can stand before you today and say I have a clear conscience. I was like, wow, salute. Because of the character that she's developed inside of her to know I'm not going to be corrupt, I'm not going to do what's wrong, I'm going to do what's right in the eyes of God, and I can stand before you today and say I have a clear conscience. Now, if, that, if, an, if an overseer must be above reproach, the test for a deacon is that he must have a clear conscience between him and God. He knows that he is carrying this mystery of the faith honorably before God. Now, you look at all of this, right? And you go, overseer above reproach. Deacon must carry the mystery of the faith with a clear conscience. And then all these little examples of what that clear conscience looks like or what being above reproach looks like, and you go, wah, tabolela. I want to I challenge you to think about this. Would you see leadership outside of this church as possible and inside the church so high a threshold that it is not possible? And if you were given two sets of thresholds, leadership that is, well, look at it, I can. This one, wow, the standards are high. Which one would you go for? I want to challenge you to go for more. I want to challenge you to aim for what God has for you because what God has for you in this church the standards that God has set for His church, when we work towards it, we go beyond what the world is requiring of us. So when you go outside into the world, you carry a light that is brighter than the world expects you to carry. So when we go outside into the world, you carry a character that the world looks and goes, actually, uh, I didn't realize uh, that's what I want. You carry skills that the world looks at and go, hey, actually, I didn't realize uh, there is another level of those skills, another level of excellence in those skills that I can look for. You think about Daniel, right? The reason why I believe Nebuchadnezzar, Belshazzar, Cyrus, Darius, all of them took him in, allowed him to continue to live with them and advise them and, and do all these awesome things uh, in leading a nation with them, although there are 
pagan is because he carried a spirit, he carried character, attitude, skills, and knowledge that they would not have expected of their own people. And because he had that, he was able to lead well. And not just lead people under him, he led people like Nebuchadnezzar. When, they, when the kings see the way Daniel live out their lives, they go, actually, you're God, huh? I should follow also. <laughs> this is the God huh? all my people should worship. Those were things they said. And so my challenge for you is this. Don't look at these standards and go, wow, impossible, huh? never mind, huh? go and find some other level of standard. No, say, this is what God has called us to do. And because this is what God has called us to do, we want to aspire, desire this noble task. We want to aspire into this leadership that God has called us because when we cultivate our lives into this level, we know we can carry a greater light, carry a greater knowledge, carry greater skills, carry greater excellence into the world out there and bless the world that needs to see who Jesus is. Why? Because in verse 14 to 16, we carry this mystery. Out there, you don't need to carry a mystery. You just need to carry ability. When you get interviewed for a job, you can say things that please your Please, your interviewers' uh, checklists. You can talk about things that are, are understandable for them, but you don't have to carry a mystery. And you know what's so important about this mystery? It is because you carry something beyond yourself that you know, this is something I want to pursue. This is not something that anybody else can achieve. This is not something that um, you can do, I also can do. Maybe I can do a bit better than you, but it's just that level. When you carry a mystery, you carry something so profound, you're carrying something that goes beyond you, but something you will continue to live your life pursuing with all of your heart. You carry God. This is why I believe the best leaders in our world today should come from the church. Let me say that. I'm not asking you to say amen to this, all right? I'm asking you to think about this, all right? Meditate through this. This is why I believe the best leaders in our world today should come from the church. First Corinthians chapter 2, verse 9 to 10 tells us a bit more about this mystery. What no eye has seen, no ear heard, nor the heart of man imagined what God has prepared for those who love him. Let me just stop there. You've not seen, you've not heard, you cannot even imagine. A lot of things out there you can see, you've heard, you've imagined. If somebody has done it before, you're just going to replicate it or you're going to follow and you say, yeah, yeah, you know, it's great, it's good, I want to develop in my skills for that, but I know it's possible. But 1 Corinthians 2, 9 to 10 talks about this mystery that you've not seen, you've not heard, you've not imagined what God has prepared for you. But these things, God has revealed to us by His Spirit. These are things that God has opened our eyes to see. 
These are things that God has shown us and say, I'm calling you to participate in what I'm doing. I don't call Tom, Dick, and Harry. I called you. And I give you my spirit so that you can understand the profoundness of what I am doing, the profoundness of who I am, and pursue it, and pursue it. And so we're talking about a God who is awesome and magnificent and powerful, a God beyond our understanding, manifested in the flesh, vindicated by the Spirit, seen by angels, proclaimed among the nations, believed on in the world, taken up in glory. If this is the first time you've heard someone talk about Jesus this way, or maybe this really is the first time you've heard about who Jesus is, can I just one more time invite you to join tomorrow's Alpha course? Because you can ask all your questions. What does it mean by incarnation? What does it mean by the resurrection? Can someone actually resurrect? Whatever it is, but come with this understanding that I want to get some answers, but what you will get is an encounter with Jesus. And I know that that will be the case for you. But coming back to this, if this is the God we worship, if this is the God we honor and live out, sorry, we live for, then what calling God has for us is a calling to lead. And so I'm going to end with three points. Leadership is, first of all, a high and worthy call. It is a noble task. It is something that I want all of you to begin to realize, but look at this and go, this is where God's calling me. This is something that I can pursue. This is something that, that will build my life. This is something that will bring me into a deeper and greater understanding of who God is. The second is this. Leadership is a universal call. It is a call to all of his church. It is not a call to a select few. It is a call to all. And so I want to tell you, you may be a new believer. You may be in a Christian for a while. You may have had this mindset that says, well, I don't need to be a leader. Or, well, it's not something I need to pursue. And yes, maybe it is not about core CG leadership or you know, certain structures that we follow and which are important. But what God is going to speak into your life and prepare you for is lives. You're going to lead lives. As long as you place yourself into the hands of God and say, God, I want to learn to lead. God, I know that there is a mystery that I carry and as I carry and hold on to this mystery of the faith, I want to hold it with a clear conscience. I want to hold it knowing that you've given me this gift, not just for my life, but for others. And as I bring this message, this mystery to the world around me, it is possible for me to lead the people whom I'm sharing with into an encounter with you, into knowing you, and into following you. And God is going to call you to lead. And the last one, leadership is a discipleship call. Because every form of discipleship in the church 
when we say we follow Jesus and we're being discipled, it's about making disciples. Matthew 28, go therefore and make disciples. The disciples we make will make disciples. The disciples that were made then would make more disciples. And so as you are making disciples, you are leading. If I may just ask the worship team to come up. I want to share with you something that we've been, or something that I've been really thinking about and, and, and pursuing and understanding as far as leadership is concerned. I've been a leader, I've been in all different forms of leadership or different levels of leadership for many years. Obviously, not like a lot of you. Not as many years as a lot of you. But over the years of learning to lead and learning to understand what leadership looks like, I've learned to understand that when God calls us into leadership, He calls us into discipleship. And when we talk about discipleship, it is not just how much more you read the Word, how much more you pray, how much more you hear God. Discipleship has this element of making disciples. And so we tell our people that when you are, when, when we invest into your life, we're telling you you're going to be investing into other people's lives. And then we train you and we develop you and we invest in you so that you learn how to invest into other people's lives. We may not necessarily use the word lead, but that's essentially what you're doing. And so what we are doing as a church is raising up and building and building upon more building of leaders upon leaders. And it came to a point where we had one cell group member come up to us and go, I want to be a cell group leader. Young fella, teenager, not in a teen cell. Most of the people in the cell are older than him. But he came up to the cell group leader and said, I want to be a cell group leader. What do you do when someone comes up to you and says that? Hey, young punk. I'll admit, I, I laughed inside here. I'm like, okay. <laughs> but then what God was then dealing inside my heart was this. If someone desires to be an overseer, he desires a noble task. I don't know where his heart was at when he said it. But if he came up to us and God knows everything, right? God's in control. He knows this conversation is going to take place. Is he challenging our hearts and saying, raise this guy up? Of course, don't suddenly turn him into a self leader. But begin to invest in his life. Begin to see the vision that God has for his life as he grows up. Begin to see the destiny that I have for him as I'm revealing it to you. And that's the same for all of you. I want to encourage you, church, because I know, because I know that this is a call that God has for all of us to rise up 
to learn to lead. And I want to encourage you to say, here I am, Lord. Send me. Here I am, Lord. Send me. We're going to worship God. And this is what I want to do even as we close. I want to just open up this altar, this place at the front here, for any one of you who respond. And when you come up here, you're not telling us, oh, I'm going to be a core leader, I'm going to be a CG leader, I'm going to be a pastor. You don't have to. But if you've got someone in your mind whom you want to see come to know Jesus, or you've got a cell group member whom you love so much and you want to see them develop and grow in their faith, you're looking at perhaps your family members whom you want to develop and grow in their faith. You're looking at your children and you're saying, God, I don't know how to do this, but help me lead. I want to invite you to come up. Come up knowing that this is what God has called you to do. Come up knowing that leadership is what God is going to plant into your heart and into your life. Come up knowing that as you do this, you are being discipled into another level with Him. Come up knowing that God has given you Himself this mystery to carry with you into the world. So can I just all of us to rise and just focus your eyes on Jesus even as you worship God. If his bandaging the broken or washing filthy feet, here I am, Lord. Here I am, Lord. Send me. If it's loving one another, even when we don't agree, here I am.
last verse, I want to encourage you, just look to Jesus, because the last verse says, when I am standing in your glory, when you come before God, and you say, God, here's my life, what would you say, God? Well done, good and faithful servant. I want to encourage you to come before God and say, God, I want to follow you. I want to serve you. And as you do that, I want to just encourage you to say, God, begin to show me, begin to reveal into my life the people whom you want me to reach out to, the people whom you want me to serve, the people whom you want me to lead, the people whom you want me to see come into this encounter with you, God. Maybe that friend is a friend in your mind that you want to bring for Alpha tomorrow. Or maybe it's a colleague that you, that you know you're going to meet on Monday for lunch. And it's a moment that God now gives to you to lead. And so even as we worship God with this, as we sing, as we continue worshiping God, I just want you to just look to God and say, God, begin to show me, begin to reveal to me. Open my eyes to the world around me. Whom shall I reach out to? Whom shall I go for? In Jesus' name, hallelujah. When I stand in your glory, I'll be glad I chose to say, Here I am, Lord, send me. Well done, good and faithful, I live to hear you say, Here I am, Lord, send me. Here I am, Lord, send me. Here I am, Lord, send me. Here I am, here I am, Lord. Here I am, Lord, send me. If I know by how I love, let my life reflect how much I love you. I love you. And before you even ask, oh, my answer
just feel that the Holy Spirit wants you download something into your life again the word in my mind is the word faces faces names people they're tugging in your heart they're prompting you and I know that God is pouring into your heart a heart for them his heart for them So even as we just close in this prayer, I want to just bless you, church. I want to bless you not just with wonderful blessings, but I want to bless you with the heart of God, the love of God, the wisdom of God, the passion of God for life, for lives that He has entrusted to you. So Father, in the name of Jesus, I want to call and, and, and bring up each and every life here, Lord. Everyone who, is a, who, has, who has made that decision to follow you, who has made that decision to say, the cross before me, the world behind me, no turning back. That you would disciple us and lead us to see the lives that you bring around us as people you've entrusted to us and when you've entrusted them to us God I pray that you will enable us to lead enable us to use all that you have downloaded into our hearts the revelation and the encounter and the learning and the wisdom and the Holy Spirit that helps us to understand this beautiful mystery of God and bring these people to encounters with you. Lord, I pray that you would use us as your vessel. You would use us as your people, as your children to bring the love and the glory of God into their lives. So Father, be with us as we move out from this base camp today, back into the world back into all that you have designed and planned for us so that we bring you and honor you and show you to our world. We thank you, Father. So may the love of God our Father, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with us till we meet again. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Let's give God some glory. God bless you, church. As ministry is still continuing here, can I just ask that you quietly leave um, so that those who can, or are being ministered can still continue to be ministered. God bless you. See you next time.